everybody. Thank you. Hey, let's do this. Uh, let's just take a second, be quiet. I'd love, I'd love if you just, if you'd pray to yourself and just ask God for wisdom tonight, that he'd speak to you through his word, and that we'd, we'd hear what he wants to communicate uh, to us tonight. So just take some time uh, on your own, and, and we'll read in, in Daniel in just a sec. Father God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to learn again. Thank you for the beautiful weather today, the fact that we got to hang out and have fun. Thank you for this breath that you've put into our lungs, the beating heart, the brain that's operating. Thank you. Thank you that you've caused us to be alive in this period of time for your glory and your honor. We just need to learn. We want to learn what it is that you're calling us into, calling us to be about. We're not alone. Thank you over and over that we can bank our lives on the promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us in the midst of the difficult times that we find in our lives as we follow faithfully after you. So we give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Uh, when my wife and I were first married, we had two kids, and um, uh, we got a, we are in the market for a vacuum cleaner. We need to get a vacuum cleaner. So, we, you know, I've heard, I saw this commercial for this vacuum cleaner that could literally suck up a bowling ball. Like, that was like a part of the marketing. They're like, look, it can like pull up a bowling ball. So, uh, anyway, I'm like, we got to go check out this vacuum cleaner that can like, you know, suck up a bowling ball. So, anyway, we go into the store. Sure enough, they have a whole demonstration. And sure enough, this thing can actually suck up a bowling ball. So, you can imagine what it'll do to all the spider webs and whatever mess you have in your house. So, bring that thing home. And my kids are young. And when kids are young, they're always sick, right? Right? How many of you, these kids evolve with these snotty noses, right? How many of you have ever seen that thing? That thing like, that you like squeeze, right? And they jam up the nose. And then how many of you have ever used those, right? It's so inefficient. It's so stupid. It doesn't really work. And you just have to keep doing it over and over. And my wife's like, could you take care of this? These snotty-nosed kids, right? And just all the time. And I have to jam this thing up their nose. And I'm like squeezing it to pull it out. And I was like, this isn't working for me. This is taking way too long. I'm a three on the Enneagram, if you know anything. I just want to get stuff done. And so I'm like, this isn't working. And then I remembered we had made a fantastic purchase. We had made a purchase that could suck a bowling ball up. And I was like, bing, I have a great idea. I think I can clear all the snot out of their nose forever right and so I bring my sweet baby boy over and I turn that thing on and I jammed it into his nose of course I closed it don't worry and I jammed it into his nose and I watched his eyes go like this and just all the snot is getting sucked out and I was like yes the moment I started celebrating my wife comes around the corner and goes what's 
wrong with you? Like, who does that? And I was like, you don't understand. This is such a better way to do it. Everybody's given into these little blue things they jam up the nose. This vacuum cleaner could suck. Yeah, his sinuses, his brain, what's wrong with you, right? But I was so tired of just doing what everybody else did, and I thought there's a better way to do it. My mentor, a man who lives in India, I've talked to you a little bit about India. He's the one who oversees these 2,500 pastors who are being persecuted, says this. Everybody's doing, but nobody's getting anything done. And as Christians, we're called to get stuff done. In his world, he's watching as everybody else is just faithlessly following the Lord. And he was like, what I want is a faithful people that follow after God. And in, as we do that, we start living into this calling, this identity that he's inviting us into. I don't know about you, but I want to get stuff done. I don't want to just be like a bunch of busy people out there. I know who I am, and I know what I've been called to do. I know what I've been invited into. And what's happened in Daniel chapter 1, what we've been walking through the last few talks, is this idea that they've now been exiled. They were living in a hometown, loving their life. The Babylonian Nebuchadnezzar came in, ripped them out of their home, ripped them out of their routines, took them away from their temple, destroyed everything, and now has been trying to indoctrinate them into their culture. Be like us or you will not survive. You're not going to make it here. And what we see in the first chapter of Daniel is Daniel standing up from the very beginning going, I know who I am. We are called. I know who my people are. We're called to be a city on a hill For the world to see, I know who I am. And he depends upon the Lord, and he listens to the Lord, and the Lord speaks to him, and he obeys. In chapter 2, we have this situation where now Nebuchadnezzar comes and says, I had a dream. Like, I've, I've had this dream, and you all need to tell me what it is. And this is kind of a ploy, a power play. Or I'm just gonna kill everybody. I'm gonna kill all the people A death threat to all the people that are supposed to be the specialists to figure this out. And they're like, what are we going to do? And you can see them kind of gathering around trying to figure it out. Daniel finds out that he is going to die as well. And so he gets his group together. And I love this. It's not just Daniel off doing his own thing. He brings his community in. Do you know how special it is what you have here? That you are not alone That you are a part of what's called the ecclesia, the body of Christ, the church. You're not alone. And so he calls his friends and says, we need to pray. We need to pray and ask God for help. This is an impossible situation. How? We can't do this on our own. We can't figure this out. I don't have the capacity to do this, but I know who does. So they pray and they ask the Lord. Have you ever prayed? And ask the Lord. And seen him so faithfully show up? I have. I have seen him do this over and over in my life. There's also been prayers he hasn't answered. And I've been hurt on that sometimes. You ever been there? Where you're like, wait a second. I like totally prayed about that. And that didn't come true. And we're kind of stuck at times. What do we do? At the end of the day, we trust that he's in control. That he knows. And in this moment, God does answer him. God tells him exactly what is going on. He gives Daniel a supernatural ability to interpret the dream. 
And then what you find is Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, you see in the scene in the video where he's like, oh my gosh, now we're all going to follow God. You'll see this happen multiple times. Oh, we're going to follow after him. And it's like, yes. And this actual dream is interesting because it's about a statue and there's gold and Nebuchadnezzar's gold because he's the greatest in the land. But eventually he's going to fall to all these other kingdoms. And eventually the king of kings and the lord of lords is going to ultimately reign. So what does he do? He builds a statue of himself made of what? Gold. So instead of submitting his life to God, instead of just leaning into what he's been learning about this God who shows up and knows dreams, he once again goes, no, no, wait, I'm God. I want to be worshipped. And Nebuchadnezzar constructs a massive statue. And he commands everyone to worship it because he's like, I'm God. So much pride. In fact, he gets to the point, and if you don't worship, I kill you. I kill you. Chapter 3, verse 8. But there's these faithful few that continue to stand up against King Nebuchadnezzar because they know who they are, and they know whose they are, and they don't submit to the authority of King Nebuchadnezzar. They submit to the authority of God. And in verse 8, it says, Uh, It says this. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward, maliciously accused the Jews. They declared, King Nebuchadnezzar, O live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the hair, the tarragon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and not worship shall be cast into the burning furnace. There are certain Jews, these guys are tattletales, right? They're tattletales. They don't like this crew because they know that they stand. Remember that King Nebuchadnezzar said, these, they're 10 times better than everyone else in the land. They they feel threatened. And so now they're going to call them out. Verse 12, there are certain Jews who among you you have appointed over the affairs of the the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought so that they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you are here, the sound of the horn, the lyre, the tarragon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Check out this response. I just love this response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, (laughs) Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, can you just hear it in their voice? Like, he's so proud. Like, I got you. I'm going to get you. I'm coming up against you. And they're like, player, please. Like, trying to posture up. Like, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to their tone. We have no need to answer you in this matter. This is the king of the greatest nation right now in the world. He's dominating places after places. He has just destroyed their home and brought them all the way here. And they're like, we, we, we don't have to answer 
to you in this matter. If it be so, our God in whom we serve will be able to deliver us from the burning, firing, uh, the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of the hand, out of your hand, O king. But if not, pivotal point, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is such a beautiful moment. I hope it's ingrained in your brain. What do you do when everything is against you? When your culture, when your situation isn't looking the way you want it to look, will it look like this? Will you submit to God? Because I think Christians kind of have this all wrong. I want to tell you two promises that Jesus gives. Do you want to hear two promises that Jesus gives? Do you want to hear him say yes? Say two promises. In this world, you will suffer. But take heart, I've overcome the world. I like that you guys repeat it. Two promises. You, from Jesus, you will suffer. If you follow me, you will suffer. But the other promise, take heart. I'm in control. Take heart. I'm in control of the world. What the crowd does is it just blindly follows the masses. Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 14, uh, and answered and said to them, is it true, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up for you? You're telling me you're not like everybody else? Why aren't you doing what everyone else is doing? Why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you submitting to my authority? This is what the crowd wants you to do. This is what your culture wants you to do. Do what everybody else does. Fit in. And we say this to our kids all the time. Fitting in, being like everybody else is so boring. It's so boring. Our son Cooper, I was telling you about him. He's the ah, kid, okay? He's our 19-year-old, right? This kid from the day he was born is just a weird kid, right? We used to have guests come over the home. You know, very nice. I went to Mexico and I got him a Nacho Libre outfit, you know, like a luchador outfit. You know what I'm talking about? This kid's like six years old, right? And he, we, we're with company, company. And, and, and we're not a dignified people, we're not super fancy, but when company come over, we try to put on a good, you know, thing. So anyway, our son comes down in tidy whities and the Nacho Libre, like, it's just a hat and like a cape. And he's like bouncing on the couch, could care less that there are grown adults around and they're cracking up and laughing. Like we would go surf, right? We're going to surf in, in, at Newport or wherever else we're going to surf. And as a teenager, he would just show up in a Spider-Man outfit and just shred, right? And, the, and everyone's like, I know, right? And he would be like on a wave, he'd be like, right? Right, because this is this kid, he's just different. And I just go, that's so fun. It's so boring to be in the lineup with everybody else. There's Spider-Man. <laughs> That's amazing, right? We're called to be a light into the nations, but if you look like everybody else, you're not so bright. We've been called to stand out because it costs you nothing. Listen, listen to me. It costs you nothing to be like everybody else. It costs you nothing to be like everybody else. How your friends smoke weed and you smoke weed, it costs you nothing. 
costs you nothing. You go on certain websites because all your friends cost you nothing. To be just like everybody else, it costs you nothing. There is no character in compromise. There's no character development because you're just like everybody else. There's no challenge. You're not growing. You're not standing out. You're just normal. And you have not been called to be normal. And the reason why so many of you stay normal is because you know, listen to me, the cost. You know what is going to cost you socially. You know it. I know it. To say the truth, to actually believe in the things that we say, out loud, we know the cost. And what Daniel is saying here and what he's saying to you and me is, I know the cost and it's my life. But I fear God more. And I want to be a person of character. I don't want to be like everybody else. And he's inviting you and I into that because he knows who he is. You are culturally being threatened right now. So many of you are compromising because you don't want to sacrifice for Jesus. You don't. In your heart of hearts, you want to, but you evaluate the cost. You say, I can't do this. It's too much. And look, there's no judgment here. I'm just saying it's so interesting that we can make a commitment to follow God and then we don't follow God. What, was that really a commitment? Because Dan, Daniel follows God to the point of going, take my life. I follow God and God only. 1 John 2.15 says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If any of you loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I'll read it again. 1 John 2.15. Do not Love the world. Do not bow down to statues. Do not bow down to the things that your culture tells you are the sacred cows right now of your cultural awareness, your cultural reality. Do not love the worlds or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because here's what happens to the called. You have the crowd and you have the called. They know who they are. They know whose they are. And here's what they know. They expect suffering. They expect it. They expect because they know they're different. You know, I grew up in a period of church history where we told people, it's easy to follow Jesus. Just say this prayer. It's so easy. And I want you to know now, that's not true. We misled a bunch of people. Yes, it is easy to say with your mouth, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. That is easy. His grace and his mercy, it covers a multitude of sins. You know what's not easy? is living that out, that covenant relationship out. And we misled people. We misled people. And I think many of you, maybe many of you, just proclaim something without realizing the cost behind what you're now proclaiming. Because in verse 15, it says this, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound, the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the tarragon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down to the worship, 
the image that I have made, Nebuchadnezzar says, well and good, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the fiery furnace, and who is the God who would deliver you out of my hands? Because it's costly to follow Jesus. It's costly to be a Christian. And if you resist the crowd, here's what I want you to know. You will suffer. It will cost you. But take heart. I've overcome the world. My hope is in Christ. My hope is who in, in who he says I am. And I will become against. This is what we see over and over and over in the scriptures. There's a story of, of the bishop. His name is Polycarp. And he's a martyr. But his story is so beautiful. See, martyrdom was happening. He, they, they believed this, he was the last, one of the last uh, bishops to, to see an apostle. And John was the apostle that led him, they believed. And so he... He, there was martyrdom that was happening in Rome, meaning they're killing Christians. And actually, they're interesting. They called them atheists, which I find so interesting. They called Christians atheists because they were against the gods. And they served one God, the God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And so all these, all these Christians are being killed, and he hears about all these martyrs, and he decides to stay in the city. He felt the Lord told him to stay in the city. And so they arrested him. And they told him to deny Christ, deny Christ, deny the Christians, and we will not kill you. And here's what he said. I love this, and, and this is so important for us. 86 years, this is what Polycarp says, 86 years I have served him, have served God. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? 86 years old. He's been following the Lord, and he's saying to them, literally, he told them this, take my life. And they said, we're going to send in the animals, and they're going to rip you limb to limb. He said, send in the animals. And they said, we're going to set you on fire. He said, set me on fire. And it is historically shown that he stood in the fire, and it actually showed that the fire, when they lit it on him, it bellowed out so it didn't touch him. And so they ended up stabbing him and killing him there. Interesting, 86 years, 86 years I've been following. You don't just wake up one morning, hear me so clearly. How do we get through this? How, if we know that following Jesus is dangerous and it is and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's everything, but if we know we're gonna suffer and Jesus said we're gonna suffer, how do we do this? You don't just wake up one day and resist the crowd. You don't just choose to die for something that you don't care about. It's a lifetime commitment to say, I follow Jesus. And what we find in Polycarp is a life committed to Christ, his whole life. It's about you. So when it comes to a moment where he has to suffer, he is confident in who his God is and who he is. What a great example that Daniel gives to us. What a great example that Polycarp does. Charles Spurgeon says this. And this is kind of heavy, but really important. So listen in. If you cannot be true to Christ, if your coward heart is coward to your Lord, do not profess to be his disciple, I beseech you. He that is married to the world or flint-hearted had better return to his house 
for he is of no service in this war. Here's what he's saying. You can't serve two masters. You can't bow down to the idol of Babylon and proclaim that God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You can't do that. You're going to have to choose. Which means in your real life scenario, there are social implications to you following Jesus. I want you to know I know that. And I want you to know I don't just stand up here and go like, get over it. It's easy. Just make a stand. I know what it's going to cost you. I do. And, and, and here's what I'll say. The weight of that, honestly, is, is, is we need to be praying for you. Because it's heavy. It's hard. It's not easy with all the craziness that's out there, that you're going to get canceled and you're going to get lobbed into a category. I know it's hard. But you have not been promised easy. You have been promised Jesus. That he loves you. He sees you. He'll give you the wisdom and discernment. Tell them what you're for, not what you're against. Tell them about a father who loves and cares. Listen to them. Care for them. But don't compromise. Compromise costs you nothing. It costs you nothing. Verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer and say to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no answer, no, no need to answer this in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. There's a story in the UK in 1940-1941 where the Germans were bombing London, bombing them. And they thought they were going to just completely wipe them out. But what ended up happening was something super interesting. Initially, as they were bombing, and they did this for like 57 weeks straight, what ended up happening is initial bombings, the people would run into the bomb shelters. People would hide, they'd scream. And what happened over a period of time is people started just living life and surviving. And what they, believed, what they believed the Nazis believed they would do is they would eradicate the people. What they ended up doing is get, building resilience in them. Malcolm Gladwell says this in, in, as, he re, as he talks about this situation. He says, courage, he's talking about the people, and he's talking about us. Courage is not something that you already have that makes you brave when, times are, uh, when tough times start. Courage is what you earn when you've been through the tough times and you discover that they're not so tough after all. How will you know if you never resist the culture? What God, miraculous work, work that God can do in and through you. How will you know? And when you do and he proves you faithful, you become resilient. Because at the end of the day, what you believe about God matters. And if you have faith in him, living into this really matters. A.W. Tozer says this, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It was the most important thing about Daniel. That is why he's able to look at the king and go, nah, nah. We don't submit our lives to you. We don't eat what you want us to eat. We interpret dreams only because God gave us that interpretation. And as we stand before you and say, throw us into the fiery flame, 
because we serve God. That is who they believe about God. Who do you believe God to be? Because it is the most important thing that you can have happen in your life. And as a result of that, they're thrown into the firmest. A miraculous work happens, and they are delivered. And as a result of that, now King Nebuchadnezzar once again goes, maybe this God is the God of the universe. They are a testimony. I love Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that our suffering produces endurance. That means you gotta do something. You actually gotta go through suffering and it produces endurance because it's something you've gone through and now you go, look what he did. Look how great he is. He saw me. I'm not alone and I am enduring and then endurance produces character. It produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put to shame Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope. Hope is a powerful thing. Hope is something that your culture, your your age group needs more than anything else. Because here's what I see, despair. Despair is everywhere. And we are the people of hope. We are the hallelujah people in Easter. We are the Easter people and hallelujah is our song. We live Easter every single day. Resurrection life every day. You can't touch us. If I die here on earth, I go be present with the Lord. I'm always winning. What are you going to do to me? It's hope. Hope in Christ. Hope in what he's called you to do in this world. And what he doesn't promise you is it's an easy train and that you get away and you don't have to do anything. That's not what he promises you. What he promised you, Jesus promises you, I suffered, you will suffer. But the promise, take heart. Here's what that literally means. Relax. Some of you are like super stressed out right now. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna suffer, right? Relax. Do you know why you can Relax. Take heart, I'm in control. God's in control, you're not in control. I know that feels weird for you because we're so used to controlling all the outcome. You're not in control, God's in control. The reason why your world feels so crazy is maybe, just maybe, because you have placed yourself in control. These men resist the crowd. They're rewarded in seeing God move in a miraculous way and they get to witness a nation They get to witness to a nation that's oppressing them. See how faithful God is. My sons, who I told you about before, you know, I told you one's real careful, very careful, very analytical, very careful. The other ones, we've already determined. He's crazy. And so I had this tree outside my office. And and I said, yeah, why don't you guys climb the tree? And so all of a sudden, like, you know, Cooper's like, like a spider monkey, you know, up the tree. And he's like in the tree and he's like taunting his brother. Like, hey, I'm in the tree, it's awesome. And Ben's like, oh man, because he's the older brother, you know? And so he's got a rep. And so he's like, oh man. So he starts slowly like up the tree, like I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. A death, 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 death. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. How many of you are like total like, I'm gonna die. People like worry, worry about everything kind of people. You're like this, yeah, I don't know. Um, so that's Ben. So he's in the tree and then I said, right? I said to Coop, I'm like, okay, jump. 
And Cooper's like, yeah, right? He just jumps and I grab him. I mean, they're probably 15 feet up, right? Like I grab him in the air and I swoop him down. And he's like, ah, right? And I was like, yes, right? And then my other son, I'm like, okay, Ben, it's your turn. And Ben's like, no, not gonna do that. Not gonna do that. And I was like, bud, you just, you just saw me catch your brother. It's all good, I promise, I'll catch you. And he's like, how do I know you'll catch me? I'm like, because I'm your dad. And he's like, I don't believe you. You get distracted, right? You're like a squirrel. Ah, oh, dead. <sighs> Ice cream truck. Oh, look at that. Dead, right? He's got all these scenarios in his head. He's really, and I'm like, bud, I love you so much. Come on. Like, just jump. And he's like, I don't, I don't know if I trust you. You know what that does to a father's heart? What do you mean? All my life, I've been faithful to him. I provided for him cared for him, tucked him in, cleaned his wounds when he got hurt, read him stories, played video games. Oh, my gosh. And you can't trust me to jump out of a tree and I'll catch you? How will I know you catch you? You're just going to have to jump and believe that I love you and that I not want anything bad to happen. I want to rescue you. So he jumps. And you can see in his face like, ah, right? It wasn't like a happy jump. And I caught him and I set him down on the ground and he said this, you did it. You really caught me. You caught me. You really caught me. And I think so many of us have a problem with believing that God is who he says he is. You will go through difficult times, but do you believe he'll catch you? Do you believe he's in control? Do you really trust him? Because his promise to you is this, take heart. I've overcome the world. Take heart. I mean, I actually got a little choked up in that video. I don't know if you did when it went, you're not alone. How many of you feel like you're just alone? You're not alone. You're not alone. You are loved. You are seen. You are known by the most high God. His promises are true. They endure generation after generation. That's why we keep preaching about it. He is faithful and true. He will never leave you nor forsake you. For, forsake you. He is the same today, yesterday, tomorrow. Who do you say God is? This is a question that you really truly need to answer for yourself. Because the promise is if you commit your life to Jesus and you stand up for what's true, you will go through difficult times. But take heart. He is who he says he is. He'll do what he says he'll do. And he's overcome the world. You know, it's a weird thing, teaching. Because I want you to know I really do feel the weight of all that I'm talking about. I don't want you to think I'm just up here just tossing stuff and not wearing the weight of what it means for us all to live it out. It's heavy. It's hard. I get it. But I have found in my life so much joy and purpose, finally, after all these years of faking it, and being who he says I am, and doing what he's called me to do, and I desperately want that for you, I have failed misery, I am one of you, I am not any better, I need his grace and his mercy just like you do, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm doing my best, and, and I think when the body of Christ comes together, and serves the Lord together, you're not alone, He's with you, and then you have a community that's with you 
supporting and living into the truth that he's called us to. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. Grateful. So grateful. So grateful. I just, I'm overwhelmed by the example of these men. Thank you. Thank you that we have examples of people, people like Polycarp, who are not afraid. They're not afraid. They feel a peace that passes all understanding because they really know you, and you know them. They're not afraid. They're not alone. We're not alone in our suffering, in our pain, in our confusion. Thank you that when we endure, it builds something beautiful, character, endurance, and hope that your spirit is leading and guiding us in. Teach us, spirit of the living God, to depend and trust on you, that we will make a difference and be resilient in this world for your glory and your honor. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, amen. say it because no, he, you're fine with him. Yeah. <laughs> he won't find him Mm-mm, they got rid of all that that's why I didn't say it I mean because it's on film and then it links to the 2500 pastors so that's why I didn't say his name I, I actually thought that out loud I was like <laughs>